In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created outside of Him. The Word gave life to everything, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Once again, so great to, to stand before you. I feel like I haven't done this in a long time. So uh, what's funny is we, have, we had some, some guests from out of town who dropped in on us yesterday, and we're sitting there at dinner, and I said, you know, people are so ready to get back to church. Like, I could preach heresy, and they'll be like, we're so glad to be back. <laughs> I'll try not to preach heresy today, I promise, but we'll see. Before we get to the message, would you uh, join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word in which you revealed yourself to us, your character and your nature, what it means to be your people. Gathered here in this place, Lord, are your people. We want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. May this not just be an exercise of religious ritual and routine. Let this be an encounter where you speak to us and strengthen us that we may be who you've called us to be light in the darkness, just like we've sung. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you know this, but if you don't know, I've been the pastor of this church for about a year and a half, and we, we moved here from Kansas City, Missouri, and in Kansas City, we bought a house close to a grocery store within walking distance. Some of you who know where I live now are like, wait, wait a minute, I see a pattern there. They live next to a grocery store here as well. That kind of says a little bit about my family, maybe too much, that we live that, we buy houses based on the proximity to a grocery store. But the one in Kansas City, which we love our Kroger here, but the one in Kansas City, uh, if you walked in to the bakery section, there was always this tray of cookies. Not little Oreos, but big giant chocolate chip cookies that were free samples. That's not even a sample at this point, right? That's an exaggeration. But in the hands of my children, it looks about this big. And so every time we'd go to the store, We'd look at our kids and be like, hey, we're, we're going to go to the store. And they'd be like, yeah, let's get in the van. We can't wait. Can we go with you? I'm like, absolutely. And in those moments, you feel loved. You feel like, man, my children want to be with me. My heart is warmed. They treasure being with their father. <laughs> but then they always follow up with the question, are we going to Sunfresh, which is a.k.a. the, the cookie store? And if we weren't, if we were going to a different store. We would say, no, we're going to go to this store instead. And suddenly they're just like, you know, I, I think I might just stay home. <laughs> and I don't tell you that because I want to embarrass my kids. I know they love me. And, and it didn't change how I felt about them. I love my children. I bring that up because I think sometimes we do the same exact thing with God. We look to him because he's the one who's going to get us that free cookie. Isn't that where we've been in our, our series here in the book of John? We've seen that from the crowd they're desperate for more food. They just, Jesus just fed 5,000 people, and they come back and saying, hey, bring some more on. This is what we're going to look at. It was a tendency 
to treat Jesus this way by those who saw him face to face and 2,000 years later, it still continues to be the tendency that we have. If If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. And as you do, let me give you a little background. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series on the book of John, um, just traveling through, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1. And here we are in the middle of chapter 6. John lays out his purpose in writing this gospel. You see, John wrote this as a later gospel. There was, towards the end of his, his life, towards the end of the first century, that uh, he writes an account of Jesus with a very specific purpose. He wants people to believe and to have life. He says that in John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. I write in this so that you will believe in the Messiah and that in believing you will have life. Now, I want you to remember that. Believe and life are coupled together as his purpose because we see that again in this message. We see it in the text today. So Jesus, John is saying, who is Jesus when he's writing this? Now, before we read our text today, let me remind you where we were last week. And actually the last two messages, which span about three months. Jesus feeds 5,000 then he sends his disciples across. He, gets, he, he walks across the water. The crowd chases him down in boats and says, where, where, how did you get here? And Jesus looks at them and says, just like the cookie thing, you don't, you don't want to be with me because you believe the sign. You want to be with me because I fed you. That's how he opens up that conversation. And he closed with what we looked at, the very last verse of where we left off last week with with them saying, what do we do to to, to be right with God? What do we do? What does God expect? We want to do those works. He says, the only thing that God wants from you is to believe in the one that he sent. Well, this passage, Jesus now begins to unpack the one that he sent. What did did God send? Or more, more accurately, who is it that God sent? Now, ordinarily, I would read the entire passage, but this is a long one. So we're going to take it in chunks because what we have in this passage today is some exchanges. The crowd says something, Jesus responds. The crowd responds to Jesus, and Jesus responds to them. So we're going to take it piece by piece, just a little different than the usual. Read with me in John chapter 6, starting in verse 30. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. (laughs) Isn't it funny that the first thing they say is, give us another miracle. Like that first miracle wasn't enough. You want us to believe in you? Then, then give us another miracle. They, 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 their hunger for the miraculous is insatiable. Notice that they bring up manna and they bring up Moses. Now, what's funny is they're still talking about bread. They would be very happy for Jesus to make some more bread for them in this moment. As a matter of fact, bringing in Moses, he, they want him to up the game. Well, Moses fed us manna. And if you're greater than Moses, like you said at the end of chapter 5, like he wrote about you, then you should be able to outdo Moses, right? Bring something even greater than what Moses brought. Jesus' response, starting in verse 32, is this. I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven, The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Or gives life to the world. Jesus points out that it wasn't Moses who brought manna. Now, just a reminder for those who may not be familiar with manna. Manna was the miraculous bread that God provided in the wilderness when the the, the Hebrew slaves left Egypt. They were were slaves in Egypt. They left and they're they're in the wilderness wandering 
Manic happened every single day. There was a new batch. Jesus says it wasn't Moses who did it. It was the Father who did that. As a matter of fact, God is now sending, my Father is now sending true bread from heaven. Because manna, even though it was miraculous, it spoiled every day. Every day it went bad. Every day it perished. He said, the manna that's coming from heaven, it, it's, it's different. Listen to this. What is that true bread? Verse 33. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. If it's not obvious to us now, and it should be as readers of John, as his original audience and today, it obviously wasn't obvious to the crowd. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the true bread from heaven. So they say, because they're still thinking about bread, give us this bread every day. Every day. They're still thinking about manna in the field. Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. This is the heart of this passage. This is, this is what we've been building to for the last two messages. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me because though you've seen me, However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do the will of my own. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those that God has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. See, Jesus as we've seen throughout the book of John, elevates the conversation that's usually on the ordinary physical level and elevates it to a spiritual level. That's what he's doing here, talking about bread and manna. He's, he's, he's elevating himself. He's talking about himself while they're talking about miraculous bread. It's kind of like the, the woman at the well. When Jesus tells her about a water that will allow her to thirst no more, and she's like, give me some of this water. Give me, I don't want to come back to this well. Give me this water. Same type of thing. There's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying. So Jesus makes it abundantly clear what this bread of heaven is in verse 35. I am the bread of life. I'm not talking about a bread of life. I'm talking about the bread of life. But 35 continues. Verse 35 continues. Whoever comes to me will never be what? Hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The crowd's like, well, that sounds like, I mean, they still don't get it. That sounds great. They want to be hungry or thirsty, but they're still thinking about manna. Give, it, give us that every day, this all-satisfying daily ration of food and drink. But Jesus is not talking about, Jesus is talking about himself as the one who is all-satisfying. The one who will satisfy once and for all. Verse 36, we just read it. He says this, he says, You have failed to believe in what God has sent you and what God has given you, which is him, but I won't fail to believe or I won't fail in the task that I have to, to receive the ones that God has given me. I have come to do the will of God. And what's the will of God? We read it in verse 40. For it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. You remember earlier I said belief and life are coupled Again and again in the book of John, for whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal 
life, John 3, 36. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, John chapter 5, verse 23. And here we have it again in verse 6, belief and life. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 41. Then the people begin to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't, isn't Jesus the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And on the last day, I will raise them up. For it is written in scripture that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread of, from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give, give us flesh to eat, they said. So Jesus again says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat this flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna but will live forever. So Jesus expands on what he's saying. And, and first of all, they're saying, well, can I just point something out here? I think this needs to be clear. In verse 41, it starts off with the people, and that's the New Living Translation. If you have more of a formal equivalent like the ESV or the NASB, it probably says the Jews. And just want to remind you, as we talked about in the very first message of the series, in the book of John, when we see the Jews, he's talking about the religious leaders, not, not like the whole race, but just the religious leaders. Because we find out later that he's in the synagogue. The religious leaders are upset. How can somebody eat flesh? What does that even mean? Jesus points out that they're spiritually blind and that they're deaf. What's funny here is he has already said that if you eat this bread, that you would never thirst or never hunger. But now he elevates that. Look at verse 49 through 51. He elevates the effect that this bread would have. Earlier, never hunger, never thirst. Now, your ancestors, they ate manna, but they died. But whoever eats this bread will never die. There is a life that he gives that extends into eternity. Jesus actually not only elevates the, the, the effect that this bread has, <laughs> he adds to his figurative language that's there. The end of verse 51, he says, what is this bread? It, 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 it's my flesh. They argue. They don't get what that, what that imagery means. And I know when they read it, you're like, wow, there's a whole lot of blood and flesh in this. Fun fact. Do you know early Christians were actually accused of being cannibals? Because there's reports that went out about this blood and this flesh. They're, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is foreshadowing the cross. His broken body, 
and his shed blood. So in summary, what we've read is that Jesus says, I am the bread of God. I am sent into the world to give life to the world. And if you will come to me, believe in me, feast on all that I have for you, you will find eternal life. I don't want, I don't want anyone to misunderstand when we talk about eternal life. Because I think very much of my Christian life, I thought of eternal life as when I die, I inherit eternal life. But let me tell you, you put your faith in Jesus today, and you begin living eternal life. It's not a prize at the end of the race. It's, it's a transforming power that takes place in our life when we put our trust and our hope in him. There's a difference between eternal life and eternal existence. We all have eternal existence the Bible is very clear that everyone's going to have eternal existence. We'll either be in the presence of God, which we call heaven, or separated from God, which we call hell. Jesus is bringing not eternal existence, but eternal life. The, the word life in, in, in English comes from actually, in our English Bibles, there's three different Greek words that we translate into one English word, life. And the differences in those Greek words make a difference in how we understand the passage. There is bios, where we get the word biology, which is simply talking about the physical life of the body. There's suke, which, which talks about the, the psychological life of the soul, the mind, the emotions, the will, in which we get the word psychology. And there's zoe, which we get the word zoology. No, we don't get the word zoology from that. <laughs> zoe is the uncreated eternal life of God. It's the divine life uniquely possessed by God. It's about the quality of life. Zoe is the word that's in our text today. The life of God, the quality that comes. Let me illustrate Zoe. My 20th anniversary, Heather and I went to Paris and we're walking down the Seine. Seine? Yeah. I said everything wrong in France. My wife had to correct me constantly. And I remember walking down the river, holding her hand, my bride of 20 years, and and saying, this is the life. This is, Zoe's, this is the life. Now, I didn't mean it like this defines my life, but boy, it's that feeling. For some of you, it's, it's sitting at the beach. For others, it's a steak. Well, for me too, it's a steak. <laughs> and the beach. I mean, there's a whole lot that I enjoy in life. But there's a quality that, 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 that we take on when we take on his life. By taking on his eternal Zoe, he becomes our real life and we can express him through how we live our life. This is what Paul is saying in Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then in Colossians 3.3, when, when Paul tells the church in Colossae that you have died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ. Zoe is a, is a quality of life both into eternity but also the here and now. And that's important to understand because where you find your Zoe will determine the course of your life. Where, where did the crowd in our text find their Zoe? In the miraculous bread, and they chased it down. And you will chase down whatever is your Zoe. You will pursue. You see, when I talk about the course of your life, I'm talking about how Zoe is a powerful force that will... That will influence your thoughts, your emotions, and your decisions. You can either take on the Zoe, the life of Christ, 
that's all satisfying and remain and abide in him and let his life become your real life that will result in never hunger, never thirsting, never dying, and a freedom that God gives for you to actually live out the destiny he has for you, the destiny to influence for the kingdom, to reflect him. Or, and I say this, this is not an either or, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian. As Christians, this or applies to us because it applies to me. And I have to fight for the life of Christ to flow through me. I have to fight to say, this is my Zoe. Or we can chase in a never-ending pursuit false Zoes. What Jesus calls perishable things in verse 27. Don't chase after perishable things. What are examples of false Zoes? Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Does the Bible condemn drinking? No. Does it condemn being drunk? Yeah. Why? Because it's a false Zoe. If you turn to anything to give you what only Jesus can give you, then it's a false Zoe. Now, I know that was an easy one because we're a church crowd and we like to beat up on alcohol. But listen, I'm going to start meddling here. Philippians 3.19 they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Your translation may say stomach. Oh. We turn to food to bring satisfaction beyond the satisfaction that God has intended it to be. Do we turn to food to be the satisfaction that only Jesus can bring? Approval and self or people pleasing. 1 Corinthians 4 3. As for me, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. To Corinth, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. <laughs> I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. I say that to the elders all the time. I don't trust my own judgment at this point. Paul is saying, listen, my, my purpose, my person is not defined by what you think of me. It's not even defined what I think about myself. Don't we say that sometimes, but we, we really do care too much. Like, I don't care what people think. The problem is we really think we really do. We really care too much, too often. But there is a freedom from that that's found in Christ when his Zoe is our life. And then perhaps the biggest loaf of spoiled bread, perishable food, money. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 20. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Or where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. If money feeds your soul, then you're feeding off what you will eventually make you sick. Because finding your Zoe in anything other than Jesus means you're eating spoiled food. And I could go on. Ministry, your religious performance, taking vacations to France. I could go on. Anything that you have to have actually has you. I could probably share this microphone and invite many of you up here to say, tell me about that time where you allowed money to be that Zoe. How'd that work out for you? Or tell me about that time where you allowed 
your, your career and the accomplishments to, to, to be what you chased, to, to, to be your life, how did that work out for you? I guarantee you, story after story will say, I was exhausted. It's a never-ending race to pursue. I mean, look around where we live, where people have everything, but they don't have anything except for an exhausting pursuit that will never be satisfied. Where you find your life, where you find your Zoe will determine the course of your life. In Jesus, there is freedom to fulfill your destiny and your purpose. Freedom from that, that, that pursuit that never comes to an end, that hunger that is never satisfied, that thirst that is never satisfied. But in something else, it's really enslavement. We think we're gonna find life we think sometimes of Christianity and Jesus as holding us back and holding us down, but it's freedom. It, it's finding our life and our identity in something else that's really bondage. It's enslavement to a never-ending pursuit. The pull of, of, of false Zoe is strong, though. We'll all agree because we're all prone and vulnerable to it. The lyrics of Come Thou Fount come to mind. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the one I love. The very beginning of that verse, which I don't have memorized, talks about if I could look at your grace and cherish that. It keeps me on track. It keeps my eyes on you. How do we feast on this bread of life? How do we find this freedom? Let me give you a couple of things. Oftentimes I'll say the word abide because it's a very significant point for me. But if you think abiding is reading your Bible and praying, as a religious duty, I've done it, now therefore I've, I'm abiding. Abiding is living with an awareness of God. It's, it's stopping at a stoplight. And in that moment, for some reason, your thoughts are on him and you're overwhelmed by his love and his grace that he's shown you. But I am gonna talk about praying and reading your Bible. Just a little different. When you pray, pray to listen. There's a difference between praying to God and, and, and talking with God. For many of us, including myself, prayer is sometimes a business transaction. God, I've really got myself in a jam. Can you help me out? God, can you can one more time help me out? It's, it's business transaction rather than a flowing of affection and communication. It could become an obligation that we fulfill. I challenge you to listen when you pray. You guys know those really spiritual people who say, man, God spoke to me and I, I sensed the Lord was leading me. You know those really spiritual people? I don't, I'm not so sure they're that much more spiritual than any one of us. I just think they're better listeners. There's a great book on prayer called Two Chairs by Bob Bodine. It has it, impacted my life. Not that I execute it all the time, but I'm not, I'm not up here talking about prayer because I'm a prayer expert. I'm just talking it because I'm a Christian. But he says this, he says, for every minute that I talk, I sit in silence for four minutes to listen. Can I tell you, four minutes of silence is an eternity. But you're not gonna hear him speak unless you sit to listen. 
The same way I would say read your Bible to listen. Similar to prayer, this could be a business transaction. I've done my duty. But the reality is our, that Scripture is God revealing himself to us that we may know him better. And as we know him better, we treasure him more. And as we treasure him more, we take on the Zoe, the new life that Christ has given us when we put our faith in him. We don't need those false Zoe. We don't need to pursue and chase those things. Third, I would say keep your eyes on the grace of God. We are grace amnesiacs. You've heard me say that a number of times. We start this thing with grace and we forget. We, we make this Christian walk about everything else, mainly our ability to do it well. But it was never about our ability. It was about what he had accomplished for us. Grace fuels our devotion. Grace fuels cherishing Christ. When I refocus on, on, on the grace of God, my heart treasures him and I find my Zoe in him. If you're not a Christian today, the, the gospel message is simple. It's what we've, oh well, we've, we've referred to it and we've talked about it in this, this text. Actually, I quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have life. We were sitting on the, or we were singing a, nope. There was a certain point during this service when I wasn't paying attention, I guess. And I opened my phone and I started to find a, oh, you know what it was? It was the song Cornerstone. What's the, uh, the line about faultless to stand before the throne? <laughs> Thank you for that one. What's that line, faultless to stand before him? Yeah, it's faultless to stand before the throne. <laughs> Dressed in his righteousness alone. Listen, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that those of us who are sitting around you or who are sitting here, if you're watching online, is we are all dressed in his righteousness alone, not our own. We are all dressed in his righteousness alone. And because of his righteousness alone, we can stand faultless before the throne. That we were born into sin. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God, but God took the initiative. Every world religion, you have to do something. Christianity is about what God has done on our behalf. Jesus Christ lives a life we could not live and dies a death that we deserve so that we may have life. He is the bread of life. It's an invitation to a relationship, not a religion. I know you've probably heard someone say that. It's probably a bumper sticker, but it really is. It is a relationship. He's inviting you. And the question is, what do you now do in response to that invitation? All you simply need to do is believe and call on him. Today you've heard me speak about the Zoe and false Zoe's. The false Zoe's that we see chased in scripture and the false Zoe's of our life and how Jesus has come to bring Zoe. There is a freedom in this message that seems so different than how we think freedom works. But it's a freedom to live the life that God intended. It's a freedom that if we understand 
suddenly certain verses make sense that seem like, well, that doesn't seem, how does that work? Listen to this verse. What Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 25. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like surrender. That sounds like I'm no longer in charge of my life. Yes, but listen, he goes on. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. May we treasure. May we find life in the Zoe that Jesus brings. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word because it is in your word that you reveal who you are. It's in your word that we understand the, this message of the good news that we, that we are hopeless and helpless. But because of you, we have hope. Because of you, we have help. Because you took the initiative. Not only do you bring life after death, you bring life today. There is a, a life that we take on. There is a life that, that you bring as we feast on the bread of life. God, may we live in that spot. And in those moments when our heart wanders, in those moments where we begin to pursue those other things that we go to to find life, help us, Lord. Bring us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.